Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you everyone for joining us in this episode of Hot Topics in Specialty Pharmacy, where we chat with practitioners and leaders to discuss topics relevant to the specialty pharmacy workforce, business practice, and our profession. In this episode, we will be discussing specialty pharmacy accreditations, specifically focusing on the upcoming changes with accreditation standards and how our fellow colleagues across the country are impacted and reacting to them. My name is Jerry St. James. I'm a pharmacy manager at the University of Utah Specialty Pharmacy, and I manage the patient enrollment and coordination process within our specialty pharmacy call center, as well as leading our clinical and quality initiatives. And I will be your host for today's episode. Joining me in this episode is Alicia Barrett, Jed Johnson, Jessica Stewart, Jacqueline Igway, and Carrie Jones. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll let each of you better introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Alicia Verrett, and I am the manager for Auctioner Specialty Pharmacy at Auctioner Health in New Orleans. I oversee clinical and non-clinical operations for the pharmacy, and I'm also the PIC. Our pharmacy is URAC and JCO accredited and is the largest health system specialty pharmacy in our region. Hi, my name is Jed Johnson. I'm a clinical pharmacist for compliance, quality, and performance improvement at Vanderbilt Specialty Pharmacy in Nashville, Tennessee. Among other responsibilities, our team manages VSPs accreditations, ensures compliance with RIMS requirements, and monitors for and reports adverse events and other incidents. Happy to be joining you today for this podcast. Hello, my name is Jacqueline Igwe. I'm the Medication Safety, Quality, and Accreditation Coordinator at Baptist Health South Florida in Miami, Florida. I lead and support the specialty pharmacy and our other outpatient and ambulatory services, such as retail, pharmacy infusion, and ambulatory settings for any safety, quality, and accreditation needs. Our pharmacy ambulatory enterprise is comprised of highly trained pharmacists that practice at the top of your license. And our specialty pharmacy is dual accredited with URAC and ACHC. We service multiple disease states in our specialty pharmacy, including but not limited to oncology, cardiology, neurology, bone marrow transplant, and musculoskeletal conditions. We serve our patients, employees, and strive to be a one-stop shop for all their needs. We collaborate heavily with other healthcare providers to ensure comprehensive care for our patients. Hey there, I'm Carrie Jones, and I work as a pharmacist at Mayo Clinic Specialty Pharmacy. We're pretty proud to be accredited by both ACHC and URAC for Specialty Pharmacy. Our pharmacy takes care of patients who are treated at Mayo Clinic. Our patients have a variety of health conditions like autoimmune and inflammatory disorders, hematology, oncology, MS, hemophilia, hepatology, and endocrinology, among others. Our pharmacy is run like a dedicated call center with a centralized team, especially pharmacists. Each of our pharmacists is well-equipped to handle a range of health conditions. And my primary focus is on inflammatory bowel disease. At Mayo Clinic Specialty Pharmacy, we always aim to provide the best possible care to our patients. We recognize that every patient is unique, and that's why we work closely with them to create a personalized care plan that suits their individual needs. We're committed to keeping up with the latest research and treatment options, and we collaborate closely with the patient's care team to ensure that they get the best care possible. Hello there. My name is Jessica Stewart. I am the Operations Pharmacy Manager for Allied Health Solutions the specialty pharmacy for West Virginia University Health System. I oversee the operations of pharmacy proper, including inventory management, dispensing and fulfillment, 
to the shipment and delivery of specialty medications. I am also the PIC for the pharmacy and responsible for the maintenance of pharmacy state and non-resident licensure. I've contributed to multiple accreditation reviews for both specialty and home infusion pharmacy. Thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to discuss how we are navigating the upcoming changes to specialty pharmacy accreditation. Let's get started discussing pharmacy operations. Are you currently dispensing hazardous medications? If so, are you in compliance with USP 800? We definitely do dispense hazardous medications within our specialty pharmacy. Fortunately for us, most of these are solid oral dosage forms. Therefore, we do not have to take the extra precautions and steps required for compounding with USP 800 compliance. Enforcement of USP 800 went into effect July of 2021 with the West Virginia Board of Pharmacy, and they wanted to ensure all pharmacies were in compliance with this standard. Prior to every yearly board inspection, we try to inspect ourselves. The board did provide a hazardous inspection form, which contained around 50 plus questions. We utilized that form and updated and changed a few processes during our self-review to increase our compliance level. We did well with our initial board inspection and they stated any deficiencies which were addressed during the initial review would have the expectation of being resolved by the next annual inspection. A few of the changes we made from suggestion of the board included reviewing our risk assessment forms yearly to make sure we did not need to add any additional sections or make any updates. They preferred goggles over shielded glasses for our hazardous spill kits and recommended additional cleaning products for deactivation and decontamination. Overall, I feel like having this board requirement will set us up nicely to meet future accreditation standards around this topic and no major changes will be needed. We dispense hazardous medications at Oshner Specialty Pharmacy and are USP 800 compliant. Some changes that we made regarding workflow were establishing designated area to count anti-neoplastic medications, as well as wiping down anti-neoplastic medications before integration into inventory. In addition, our staff are required to complete an online course and assessment within our health system education platform upon hire and yearly as well. Unfortunately, dispensing errors can occur, and our goal is to always reduce these errors to help reduce patient risk. One way to reduce errors is staff education. Can you share how you discuss these dispensing errors and any pertinent safety information with your staff? At Allied, we hold monthly staff meetings in addition to sending a separate monthly email with slides that address errors and near misses in more detail. We categorize and define the type of error or near miss. We then trend that month after month. For example, we record and trend near miss quantities. We define those as incorrect quantities caught at packaging prior to leaving the pharmacy. In addition, each team holds huddles where we address errors and or near misses that originate in that area. We then discuss ways to improve and suggestions are collected and reviewed during the appropriate committee or with leadership. During our clinical oversight or quality management committee, we determine if any of these should be turned into an improvement project. I would love to put together a scorecard for easy visibility, but that's a future goal for us. Very similar to uh, our pharmacy at Baptist Health, we definitely utilize a scorecard as well and we track and trend. Ultimately, keeping safe, patient safe is paramount at our pharmacy. 
We make sure that safety information incidents near misses are being discussed to staff members and any relevant stakeholders as soon as possible. One of the things we've also implemented is a continuous quality improvement as a standing agenda item during our staff meeting that occurs every two weeks. This continuous quality improvement is essentially us discussing any errors that occurred within the last month. Staff members are encouraged to provide feedback because they're really the best source of information to share critical gaps in our workflow. This opportunity or our continuous quality improvement discussion also allows other staff members to be aware of the different gaps that exist in our system or processes. Any changes to workflow that are recommended by staff members are then reassessed for feasibility through all the different channels of approval, if applicable. Meeting minutes are also generated for any staff members that were not present at this meeting. And this allows for accountability and it also allows for documentation to ensure we're keeping track of all of the different events that happened and also were discussed with staff members. Additionally, any safety alerts from external resources such as ISMP, FDA are shared with staff members, and it could be through email or also during staff meetings. All events and quality improvement projects generated are also shared with our quality management committee, which I lead. And this also includes leadership and all the relevant stakeholders at this meeting. This really aids in buy-in if necessary. We track and trend all of our incidents on a monthly basis and report this on a quarterly basis to our quality management committee. Again, the goal is to ensure that communication is timely to staff and it's also relevant to staff members. Thank you. As we transition from staff communication towards patient communication, can you share how your institution is responding to your patients' needs in regards to communication? Sure. At Vanderbilt, the primary method of contacting patients is still by telephone, whether that's scheduled reminder calls from us or patient-initiated phone calls to the pharmacy. However, and we're seeing this especially in clinics where the patient population tends to be younger, we've had a lot of success with contacting patients through electronic means, and this seems to be a driver of patient satisfaction as well. As we've expanded and refined this option, We've increased the number of patients who are using an electronic form of communication to close to 20% of our entire patient population. So that's a big driver of uh, patient satisfaction, as I've mentioned, and it can also benefit our own specialty pharmacy team. Think about the spike of phone calls that you may get midday when the callers may be taking their lunch breaks or in the afternoon when people are getting off of work. If you can move a few of these calls to online communication, that can mean shorter hold times for your patients and a more evenly distributed workload for your staff. We want to make sure that we are adhering to our patients' preference of communication. Like Jed mentioned, we also recognize that we have a multi-generational patient population at our pharmacy with preferences of communication. Once we receive a prescription for one of our patients, at that time, we collect all relevant information that would be used to contact them. We call this onboarding. This allows us to ensure we have the most up-to-date information and contact information that the patient actually uses, because the goal for us is to have timely communication with our patients for any issues or updates that come up. If we're noticing that a patient is unable to be reached, we contact them also via mail through a non-response letter, just to let them know that we're trying to get in contact with them. We've had plenty of successes with this method. We've also had the opportunity to anticipate a patient's upcoming appointments. We collaborate very closely with their healthcare providers to let them know if we're experiencing any barriers in terms of communication. The great thing about being in a health system is that there's visibility of coordination of care 
And we're really taking advantage of those resources to ensure that our patients' preferred communication is utilized. We are very similar here at the University of Utah with our primary method of communication being over the telephone. While we do communicate through our electronic health record, this is not as expansive as we would like. And we're starting to look into other ways to increase our communication to our patients using the EHR, texting, or other methods. Are either of you using any other electronic communications and how are you maintaining patient privacy through them? For us, this has been an iterative process. We were initially using REDCap to collect patient responses. Uh, REDCap is a secure data collection tool and it was developed at Vanderbilt. It gets you a lot of use in clinical research. And so we know it's a compliant way of collecting PHI. So initially we built out a tool that allowed a patient to submit a refill request to a static URL. And that tool would also securely collect things like shipping information, clinical status, patient concerns and side effects and so forth. So when we identified through our patient management system that it was time for a patient who would be needing a refill, we could send a secure message through the patient portal of the electronic health record with the red cap link attached. The patient would then respond at his or her convenience by clicking that link and completing the form. Using this method, we saw significant adoption for patients who, for example, couldn't step away from work to answer a phone call that was coming from the pharmacy. And in fact, we see a significant number of these requests being completed outside of our business hours altogether. Somewhere between 15 and 20% of these are completed between the hours of 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. But this process had some limitations. For example, our team needed to manually transfer the patient's answers regarding his or her clinical status to our therapy or patient management software. And because the form had a static link and therefore was open, for verification and privacy, we needed to have the patient input some personal information, uh, like the shipping address with each fill. So we got a lot of suggestions from our patients that the form should remember some of this personal information like the address. And with the help from various sources, we were able to build a form within the electronic health record that serves the same purpose. It functions similar to what a patient might complete as a pre-visit questionnaire before an office visit. And because it's in the EHR, it solves several of the issues that arose with our initial solution. It eliminates a lot of the double documentation and because it requires authentication to access the form in the EHR, we don't need to independently verify the patient's identity through the address. And so this streamlines the process from the patient's perspective as well by reducing some of the manual entry. I think that's a very strong process that you all have created at Vanderbilt, Jed. At our pharmacy, we do provide multiple platforms for electronic communication for our patients. And we do adhere to our organizational policies as a whole to ensure patient privacy. Our electronic communication for patients include email and also through our website. Patients are also able to communicate with their healthcare providers through an app through the EHR. And in the future, our goal is to enhance communication with our specialty pharmacy through the already available resources that our organization already has in place. And this will allow for proper IT security review and assessment that will also ensure patient privacy. And this will allow for proper IT security review and assessment that will ensure patient privacy. It's safe to say our team spend a lot of time in communication with patients through refill reminders, assessments, patient counseling, and answering patient questions, for example. A part of this communication, our pharmacists are able to identify different clinical interventions. Can you share how and what documentation that you're capturing when a pharmacist within your team performs a clinical intervention? 
Absolutely. There are a few ways that we gather information for an intervention, from a phone call, an in-person assessment, the electronic health record. We document all of these interventions in one place in our patient management software. We capture the reason for the assessment, that is the category that the pharmacist best feels describes the intervention, which could be a common side effect, a misdose, an interaction, and so on. And we also capture the action that the pharmacist took in response, if any, and the outcome of that pharmacist intervention. Finally, we have the option in the intervention to trigger a follow-up assessment or intervention if necessary, and indicate the need for other housekeeping items in our management system. Yeah, similar to Jed's health system, we also gather information from phone calls, in-person assessments, and, and the patient's electronic medical record. Um, we document our clinical interventions within iVent templates inside of Epic. We have types and subtypes that are selected from the pharmacist, as well as free text boxes for ongoing documentation and follow-up. Our types include patient or provider intervention, and subtypes are the intervention education provided to the patient and are selected within the iVent. Our subtypes include drug safety, adherence, appropriateness, effectiveness. We have immunization recommendations, lab abnormalities, and depression screening. And our options for outcomes are also selected under the impact on care within the iVent and include elimination of duplicate therapy, drug interaction, or therapy inappropriateness, uh, just to name a few. The free text box is also utilized to document patient-specific information and recommendations that the pharmacist has provided. The time spent on the IVEN is documented, as well as if the recommendation was accepted is also recorded. Our pharmacist will also open new events for any follow-up with the patient to further document patient outcomes. So for example, if a pharmacist recommended that a patient hold biologic therapy while ill and on antibiotic therapy, the pharmacist will set a date for follow-up with the patient to discuss safely resuming therapy. We will be converting to Compass Rose in April and we'll begin documenting MTPs are medication therapy problems. Similar to our existing events, a problem category will be selected that indicates the nature of the problem, such as ineffective medication, dosage too low, or adherence. A medication-related needs category is also selected that indicates which aspect of the patient's treatment the problem affects, such as safety or effectiveness. There will also be a recommended action category that indicates the action that the pharmacist thinks the provider should take, such as change in medication or increased frequency or provide adherence intervention. Thanks for sharing that information, Alicia. It's, it's great to hear what, what you're doing at your institution. I just wanted to add that there are a lot of benefits uh, to documenting outcomes to clinical interventions. Uh, for us, uh, one of the things that we like to document is that the intervention itself has been completed or closed out. Uh, so now we have a record that the issue or clinical concern has been resolved, and we know in what way it was resolved. So this is very useful in ensuring continuity of care. Second, uh, documenting outcomes allows our pharmacists to show the very important work that they are doing. We all know that pharmacists in every practice setting, whether that's retail, hospital, specialty, ambulatory care, and so on, get pulled in a bunch of different directions every, every day. Some of the interventions that our pharmacists are completing require a significant amount of time spent researching solution. This extra work can be reflected in the outcome documentation of our interventions. We only have discrete values that are allowed in our software 
This really helps in data collection, but the pharmacist can choose multiple outcomes for a single intervention. And that often is appropriate on some of these complex issues. So this allows us to capture some of that complexity while still being able to easily analyze the data that we've collected. Thank you, Jed and Alicia. Taking a step back from looking at your patient management program as a whole, how is your pharmacy encouraging patient participation in the patient management program? And if a patient were to opt out of these services, how are you documenting this? Hey, at our specialty pharmacy, our main focus is to give our patients the best care possible. We do this by providing patient management services to every patient who joins us. We know that each patient is different, so we customize our services to meet their specific needs. This includes giving them proactive refill support calls and evaluations, and also offering resources like caregivers or translational services so that everyone can participate in the program. While we aim to give patient management services to all patients who join us, there may be some situations where we need to modify or leave out some services. For instance, if a patient gets temporary transitional therapy or if there are special circumstances that prevent them from participating, we will still work with them to figure out what to do next. Alongside our patient management services, we also offer counseling services to patients who get specialty medication, research studies, or protocols. And this ensures that these patients also get the support they need during their treatment journey. We understand that some patients may not want to participate in our patient management program, or they may want to opt out of some elements. That's why we give patients the choice to opt out actively through communication on their portal or by contacting one of our representatives by phone. If a patient doesn't respond to three attempts of assigned assessment questionnaires, they may passively opt out of the program. We make sure to document all of the opt-out instances in the patient's EHR so that their care team knows what their preferences are and can provide care accordingly. Our goal is to give our patients the best possible care, whether that means taking part in our patient management program or opting out of specific elements of it. We're committed to making sure our patients have all the information they need to make informed decisions about their care. Our pharmacists also encourage patient participation in our program at the initial consult. We discuss the patient with the patient that our pharmacists partner with them during their medication therapy to make sure that they get the most out of their treatment. We also explain that participating in this program allows Oxner Specialty Pharmacy to help with any problems along the way. Um, we discuss their disease and care, including medication dosage and frequency, drug interactions and side effects, as well as their physical condition. We also explain our refill process, which includes proactive refill calls monthly. All of this is also detailed within our welcome packet that the patient receives at first dispense. If a patient chooses to opt out of our services, the patient is still enrolled, but their enrollment status has changed from full patient management program to refills only inside of EPIC. However, refill calls are still escalated to the pharmacist for any side effect, adherence or efficacy issues, and interventions are still documented. Um, future state planning includes a reassessment to evaluate the patients that are opting out and encourage the patient to opt into our patient management and services. One of the hot topics that we are always discussing when it comes to specialty pharmacy accreditation is the shipping process and cold chain requirements for specialty medications. Would you be able to discuss your shipping methods and how you're doing testing and auditing of these methods? In West Virginia, we have four seasons. Therefore, we have packouts based on those external temperature ranges. We have well-defined procedures within our policy to pack out in accordance with those temperatures. For example, 
If the temperature is within a low of X and a high of Y, we use packout one. When the high or low meets a different threshold, we use a different packout. Current state, we are completing quarterly internal testing using validated data loggers. We take into consideration recommendations from USP chapter 659 for packaging, temperature, and storage of products, in addition to utilizing mean kinetic temperature and manufacturer recommendations. We run tests with both our internal couriers and UPS, FedEx, etc. We use additional resources, including USP Chapter 1079, which gives guidance on evaluating shipping processes, and Chapter 1079.2, which addresses the excursion evaluation. Of note, USP Chapter 1079.2 does state that biologics is a category of products for which MKT may not be suitable, therefore, again, relying heavily on those manufacturer recommendations. There is also a nice table that outlines the time period of which the MKT calculation should be based. This is different based on whether the product is at controlled cold temperature versus controlled room temperature. In the world of specialty pharmacy, packing and shipping medications is a crucial part of ensuring patient safety. At Mayo Clinic Specialty Pharmacy, we take this responsibility very seriously. We ship medications across the country, so it's essential that we maintain strict temperature and duration criteria. To achieve this, we have a comprehensive qualification testing process in place. Our pharmacy manager or designated team member performs tests on all package types and packouts used, including different geographic locations and climate exposures. We document the results using a temperature tracking device, including package type and size, packout details, geographic location shipped to, date shipped, time, duration, delivery method, and temperature results throughout the shipment. We also conduct multiple test shipments to ensure consistency and accuracy. This ongoing testing happens at least twice annually for each type of medication shipped and all package types and packouts. We audit at least four shipments per month and our specialty pharmacy oversight committee reviews the results and updates our processes accordingly. Our commitment to continuous improvement ensures that our processes remain up to date and effective and by maintaining the highest standards of quality and effectiveness in our shipments, we can provide our patients with the safest and most effective medications possible. Thank you for sharing how you're meeting the shipping and cold chain requirements. Have you experienced any barriers in validation or auditing with your distribution strategy? At Allied, one of the biggest barriers for us is just the amount of time and effort that goes into your periodic testing. Just making sure we're testing all of our packouts within the appropriate season and temperature ranges and making sure we test not only with our internal couriers, but with UPS, FedEx, et cetera. Going forward, um, I believe we'll still continue to test each pack out yearly and as necessary based on packaging issues and or complaints. We currently audit our packaging procedures weekly and those are monitored by an operations pharmacist. I think one thing we'll change or at least add to our weekly audits is the acknowledgement of any packaging complaint, the steps for investigation and the resolution of each complaint. Even though these are reviewed by QMC, I think we'll add a section when reporting product distribution testing to make sure these are highlighted there as well. So our pharmacy has a really great partnership with our production pharmacy that handles the packing and shipping of medications to our patients. This means that we can focus on giving our patients the best care possible while the production pharmacy handles logistics. But there are definitely challenges that come with shipping medications. 
And one of the big challenges that we have is the validation and auditing process. This can be very costly and time consuming. A pro tip that we've discovered is that using recyclable shipping supplies not only helps save costs, but also makes a positive impact on the environment. Another challenge is compliance with regulatory requirements, which is crucial for patient safety. This requires specialized knowledge and expertise, so investing in training programs is very much essential. We also have to manage a lot of data during the validation and auditing processes. Investing in data management systems and processes is also very important. By addressing these challenges, we can make sure that our pharmacy shipping processes are up to date and effective in maintaining patient safety. As Carrie mentioned, there's a robust training program usually involved with the shipping process and cold chain requirements with specialty medications. How are you training your staff on these shipping processes? Yes, training is very essential for our shipping process. We train upon hire annually, and whenever there are any changes to our shipping or distribution process based on validation studies or complaints that arise from our patients. We review pack out standard operating procedures, and we also review distribution delivery policies and procedures. For new hires, once that training is completed and orientation is finalized, we also complete a competency to ensure adherence and standardization across staff members. This is done with the observation. Staff are also trained annually, of course, and if there are any changes in between, then everyone will be trained on the updated process. The information regarding the training documents are all available in our shared drive and accessible to all staff members. Additionally, at the shipping station, the packout process is explicitly dictated along with photos to ensure that all staff members understand exactly what each process entails. Staff again are assessed for competency upon hire annually and they're also trained on the different parameters and temperature excursions and they also participate in validation studies for shipping. Our training on our shipping process is very similar. Uh, all staff members within our specialty pharmacy complete training upon hire annually and if there's any changes throughout the year. Um, training includes an overview of how we ship and how we package our different packouts that we use. Uh, we have diagrams as well that show the specific order of how to package our different coolers and packouts, and they're available for our staff on our intraweb and for the staff that package the medication in person. Do you use any additional tools to aid in training? We have an outlined step-by-step -step process for each of our packouts that includes pictures for each step. This document serves as our standard operating procedures for our shipping process. We really try to keep things simple and also really accessible for staff. Some of our staff members, because they do this really on a day-to-day -day basis, they're able to complete the packout process because they have it to memory. And for other staff members, they can easily just look at the shipping station right where they're packing to really refresh their memory if they need to. As I mentioned earlier, we utilize competencies prior to signing off and having staff members actually perform uh, packouts, including shipping. And this is completed on an annual basis. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Alicia, Jed, Jessica, Jacqueline, and Carrie for joining me today to discuss how they're approaching the changes in specialty pharmacy accreditation. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out the ASHP's 
online resources for specialty pharmacy practitioners at ashp.org. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the, as the Specialty Pharmacy Resource Center, which includes examples of best practices, business development resources, and more. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Hot Topics in Specialty Pharmacy. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official. Thank you.